Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. I don't know about you, but I love New Year's resolutions, and I've got a message just this week and next week all about New Year's resolutions and really what does that mean for us as believers and, and what does God actually want us to do for this year. I'm, I'm a person that needs goals, I need, need challenges, I need uh, to, uh, to attain to, to something that I've set. And I love New Year's resolutions. Last year, I, I set the goal of reading 52 books in a whole year, which was pretty crazy. I mean, 52 books, one a week, and I was able to do that. I would never have been able to do that unless I set that goal for myself. And this year, it's a little bit different. I just want to have my own personal revival because revival starts in every one of our hearts. And, and when we have revival, uh, when we have that passion back for Jesus, everything is exponentially better in our lives. And really, also, just doing what Jesus wants me to do um, for this year, we can get so bogged down in so much noise and, and busyness in our lives, but simply just pleasing the heart of God. So this, this message series is all about that, our New Year's resolutions and what would be a great New Year's resolution. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a, a verse in the Bible somewhere that we would know exactly what God wanted us to do for 2022. There'd be like, just like a couple of bullet points, maybe four and a verse, God saying, this is what I want you to do. This is what I require you to do for, for 2022. And it just so happens that there is such a verse. It's in the Old Testament in the book of Micah. Micah was a prophet of God um, around 750 BC. And he lived in a time where the, the, the people of God, the Israelites, were compromising. They were apathetic. They were living on the, the blessing of godly previous generations. Um, but, but they had grown up in, in that prosperity and they'd just become complacent and compromising. Uh, the, their moral compass went out the window. They started embracing wickedness uh, and they just rejected God. They lost their morals and they became a, a wicked nation. And so wicked, in fact, that God then had to raise up the Assyrians to come um, and, and to judge them so that then ultimately would come back to him. But when you read what life was like in Micah's time um, and the culture and, and what, what it was like really to live, um, it's very, very similar, in my opinion, to New Zealand now in 2022. We've, we've lived off the blessings of previous generations, their, their godliness, and, and we've just become complacent and apathetic. Um, where is our moral compass now? Um, what are we embracing, grabbing a hold of? Have we forgotten God? Um, so I think this is incredibly relevant for us, even though it was written a few thousand years ago, I think this is so relevant and timely for us. So we're just going to read it. Micah chapter 6, verse 3 to 8. This is what God says. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me, for I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed and how Balaam, son of, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgar when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearly calves? 
Should we offer him thousands of rams? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearly rams? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? In verse eight, this is so amazing. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It is so simple, but I reckon the most powerful things usually are the most simple. This is what the Lord requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Wouldn't it be the most phenomenal New Year's resolution if all of us would just grab a hold of that and say, God, I really want to do what you require of me uh, this year, simply to do what is right, do the right thing, to love mercy, which is love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God, which is a relationship with Him. So this is what I'm going to be talking about the next couple of weeks. Maybe take the first two this morning and, and the last part next week. But one thing I want to reiterate, it is one thing to, to know God's will, to know what God wants us to do, but it's a complete different thing to know it and then to do it. And I shared this quite frequently last year. Let's not just be hearers of God's Word. Let's know it and then let's do it. Uh, so I think this is incredibly powerful. Do what is right. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. So the first one is do what is Right. Some uh, Bible translations say act justly. It means the same thing. To do what is right means this, to act with fairness, honesty and integrity in every situation. Doing what is right, acting with fairness and honesty and integrity in every situation of life. Follow our God-given consciences. If we were born with a conscience. We, we sort of instinctively know what is right and what is wrong, our, our sin nature sort of turns us towards wanting to sin. But I remember as a little kid, sort of knowing what I was doing was wrong. We have this built-in conscience and it's powerful and I really believe it's God-given. But over time, the effects of sin and living in this fallen world, it sears our conscience. And it says that, I think, in 1 Timothy, that our consciences have been seared like a hot iron. You know, if, if you have a scar, you lose feeling with that scar where the wound was. And it also says another translation of that, their consciences don't bother them at all. So our consciences have become seared with sin. And I think it's almost become trendy these days to sort of push away uh, and to dilute our conscience, to, to pretend it's not there. And one, uh, I guess, proof of this is, do you know that 25% of the world's entire internet bandwidth today is used with online pirating and, and people downloading things uh, illegally, which is theft. It's stealing 25% of the entire bandwidth of the whole world. I know a lot of people that don't give any second thought to if it's wrong or not for theft, which it is, internet piracy. But I think it's just to become a cultural thing, a generational thing. We don't care about it anymore. Our consciences have been seared. So if our consciences have been seared, how do we know what is right? How, how do we do the right thing? The most amazing thing is when we give our lives to Jesus or give our lives back to Jesus. He makes us into new creations. He, he restores us. He restores our consciences. He renews our mind. And one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 
Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, which means all of that shame and sin and regret and pain, we become a new creation. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. It is a process, but God restores to us um, our consciences and we learn now what is right and what is wrong. And it's so much more than just uh, a moral code for living now. It becomes a relationship with, with God. We listen to Him. Uh, we, wait, we wait on Him. We hear His voice and He tells us out of relationship uh, what the right thing is to do in any given situation. I think a huge tragedy though, uh, like I said before, there is so much noise in this world that um, if we're not listening intently and purposefully to God's voice, sometimes we don't care um, and we really don't have that time. We, we don't give a thought to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. So it's more than just a moral code now. It's a relationship. We can have a relationship with God so closely that He's telling us what the right thing and what the wrong thing is to do. And this is right throughout the Bible. Um, it doesn't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to realize that the consequences of doing the right thing or the consequences of doing the wrong thing, it's absolutely phenomenal. Can absolutely destroy lives and destroy generations, or it can, can build up lives and change lives for the good. So, just a couple of um, examples here. The first one's right back in the book of Genesis when God is speaking to Cain. This is what he says in Genesis 4 verse 7. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Going through to the New Testament in James chapter 4 verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It really is a big deal doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. It affects every area of our life from our boss and employee relationships to our marriage, our attitude towards our parents, how we treat our kids, what we watch on TV, what we browse online, how we spend our money, how we relate to our work colleagues, large and small, it affects every area of our life. And a lot of times there is a cost to doing the right thing. Um, it really is. Doing the right thing is not always easy. In fact, it may be the most painful decision you will make. But this is the thing that I've been thinking, and this is really important. You, you may think doing the right thing may hurt someone, and it might. But in the long run, doing the right thing will hurt everyone less in the long term. And I just want to repeat that. Doing the right thing will hurt everyone less in the long term. So often we don't do the right thing uh, because we're afraid we're going to hurt someone. But if you do the wrong thing, you are going to hurt them so much more. Doing the right thing will always hurt everyone less in the long term. I love Philippians 4 verse 8. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. And I want to make this one of the themes of my life this year. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I love this quote. It says, people of character do the right thing even if no one else does not because they think it will change the world, 
but because they refused, refused to be changed by the world. People of character do the right thing, even if no one else does, not because they think it will change the world, but because they refuse to be changed by the world. Do the right thing. This is what God requires of us. And it says, love mercy. And this word mercy in the Hebrew, it's spelt C-H-E-S-E-D, but it's pronounced something like chesed. Uh, and it means loving kindness, to love kindness, steadfast love and mercy, which is undeserved compassion. So the Lord is requiring of us to do the right thing, do what is right, and to, to love mercy, to love being kind. Do unexpected acts of kindness to people even when they don't deserve it. And there seems to be an emphasis of this when you look at the teaching and the parables of Jesus. Um, Jesus was big on being kind. The parable of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan went out of his way to show unexpected kindness to a person in need. The parable of the prodigal son, um, the son ripped off his dad half of the inheritance and, and the father embraced him and forgave him and showed kindness and, and mercy and compassion. The account of the woman caught in adultery, everyone else wanted to, to judge her and kill her. Jesus was kind to her. The thief dying on the cross, even at the end of Jesus' life, he was still being kind, still showing mercy. Um, and then he said and prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The kindness, the, the hesed of Jesus was phenomenal. In Matthew 5, 17, when Jesus said, God blesses those who are merciful, merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's right throughout Jesus' teaching, us being kind, us showing mercy, deserve, undeserved favour to people. In 1 Peter 3, 8 to 9, it says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathise with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay back evil for evil, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Here it is, showing kindness. That is what God has called you to do. And He will grant you His blessing. I think one of the, the tragedies that has come out um, of, of this pandemic is uh, it, it's really exposed a lot of our unkindness in our lives, especially towards one another that may not think uh, the same as us. Uh, but this is one of the characteristics that we must have as believers, showing kindness, just being kind. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. It's free to be kind to someone else. And quite often it makes their day. It's right throughout the teachings of Jesus, right throughout the Bible. Do the right thing to show mercy, to be kind. When you think about it, look at how much mercy God showed to us. When we didn't deserve it, when we were in our sin, when we were rejecting God, He still loved us and sought us out. He sent His Son to die on a cross for us, the most incredible uh, act of kindness ever. Mercy is often not what we show one another, but it is the only response that makes any sense in the light of the mercy that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. And that is so true. It's one thing to receive the mercy of God and to be forgiven, which is available to all of us. But then I think we also, see, it's not cool just to accept the mercy of God and then not to 
to reiterate it and show God's mercy to others. We need to know and experience the mercy of God and then to love mercy enough because we've experienced God's mercy to then show mercy to other people. I think the bottom line is though that we can't do this on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. We just, we just can't. It's like restoring our consciences. We need something supernatural in our lives to do that. And that is again the power of the cross. When we give our lives to Jesus, He does make us new, new creatures. Um, and, and it's so incredible. We, we get this incredible grace in our lives and this power that comes from His Holy Spirit to be able to be courageous enough to do the right thing, even though it's going to cost us to do the right thing. And then we start to realise because we know now um, and have a revelation of His mercy, it, it becomes easier and almost supernatural actually to show mercy to others. And as we do that, they are drawn to God. So in conclusion, I just want us to think about that for a second, the mercy of God and then how to show mercy to others, um, having experienced the mercy of God in our own lives, uh, to have God restore us, to make us new Creations That's available for everyone. And you may be in a lounge church right now or listening to this or watching this and your life, you know it's, it's not good right now and, and you're desperate for something new. You feel that, that guilt and that stain of sin and regret. Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again so that you could be made into a new person. As we give our lives to Jesus, He opens up this life to so much kindness and blessing. Uh, and purpose and destiny in our lives. We're assured of eternal life in heaven. It is a free gift. God is so kind. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell, but all of us to have that opportunity to receive His grace. So I just want to read Titus 3, verse 3 to 7 to finish off. Then I'm going to pray for us. And if you want to make this your prayer, if you've never given your life to Jesus or you know right now you're not in the right place and you want to give your life back, uh, as I pray after these verses, please make this your own. And I'm going to pray for all of us as well that, that we would do the right thing. And I have a sense actually that uh, some of you right now, you're, you're battling because you know that there's something that you need to do, the right thing, but it's, it's going to cost you. I'm just going to pray that God will give you the courage to be able to do that. So Titus 3 verse 3 and 7. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy and evil, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.com.